part of what OM has done for thousands over the years is being able to give them some basic training and put them in a situation where they can actually practice that and find out, yes, I can do this, make a few mistakes, but you'll learn from it and God can use, uh, again, that effort. Today's first-person guest is the president of Operation Mobilization in the U.S., Andrew Scott. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd, and I look forward to introducing you to Andrew on this edition of First Person. In addition to what you'll learn in today's conversation, you can learn even more about OM and its mission of reaching the most marginalized and least reached people in the world with the gospel of Christ. Just visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com, and follow the links to Operation Mobilization. That's firstpersoninterview.com. And while you're at the website, be sure to take time to listen to any number of past interviews, which you may find interesting. Click on the Listen button for the complete list of past audio files at firstpersoninterview.com. Founded by George Verwer when he was a college student many years ago, Operation Mobilization is an international mission organization which is all about taking the gospel to the world. Here in the U.S., the president of OM is from Ireland. His name is Andrew Scott, a man who has served with OM for many years, as you'll learn. I visited with Andrew in his office near Atlanta, and I began by asking him how he ended up in the U.S. when he started out life in Ireland. I've been asked that question many times, as you can imagine, but... uh I guess the number one reason uh, would be, of course, that a sense of God's leading. But that was uh, that happened through an invitation by the former president of OM here in the U.S. Uh, after meeting me, he invited me to come across and help them start the recruiting of college students in the in the U.S. So I came across ten years ago uh, from. Actually, I was living in Northern Ireland at that mm-hmm. time. But you come with lots of experience with OM and on the ships, right? Yeah, I spent seven years total on the ships, two, uh, two years as a single back in 1988 to 90, uh, where really God got a hold of my life, radically changed the direction of my life and uh, gave me a heart for the nations. And uh, after that, I went, I went home, uh, got married. I had a childhood sweetheart that we'd been dating through my ship experience and then did my theological training. Uh, pastored in a church for three years and then came back to the ships again for another five years with my family this time. Something my wife told me she would never do. <laughs> Somehow <laughs> God was able thing to, to convince say, her. Isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that heart for the nations yeah. that, that God put in your heart, but take me back to the very beginning. When did you come to Christ? And talk to me about your childhood. Yeah, I was, my, my, my parents were uh, very, very godly people. My father was the elder in the church, the only elder actually, and a uh, little small Baptist church. And they, uh, from a very early age, taught us the, uh, the the truths of Scripture. We had a Good News Bible Club, CEF Good News Bible Club, in our house every Tuesday night. And uh, from being in church, being in that, I understood very early on the, the need uh, to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so at five and a half, it was actually my brother, older brother, that uh, asked me if I'd ever done that. And I hadn't, and, and he led me to Christ in our bed. Uh, so that was at five and a half years old. That's remarkable. Mm. Uh, sometimes it can go the other direction. When Absolutely. you're in a home like that, you turn and become a prodigal. Mm. But yeah. obviously that didn't happen with you. But I have three siblings, and each one of them came to faith at an early age and has stayed the course, been involved. My brothers in full-time missions, my two sisters are very involved in the church. And, and I believe... My, the faithfulness of my parents in a very, very sure way has uh, God has blessed them. Uh, and I know that's not always the case, and there's other directions for sure, but in our case, that is, I, I see that as God's hand. So 
was OM always uh, sort of out front for you? Did you always know about OM? And Well, in, in Europe, OM is much better known than it is in the U.S. Uh, George, of course, moved across there back in the early 60s. George uh, Verwer. George Verwer, yeah. And uh, he, um, actually, part of the reason was he didn't want it to be an American movement. He wanted it to be a global movement, and so he moved to Europe. Uh, and so OM, when I was growing up, OM was to a large degree, the mission of choice for young people. And so my parents had an OM map on the wall. We had the Operation World. You didn't stand a chance. Yeah, no chance. <laughs> and uh, my brother ended up going before me. And so uh, all of these things had influences on my life, obviously. Yeah. I just want to pick up on George making it more of a global ministry. That was ahead of its time in its thinking, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, George, like a number of the, his peers of that time, Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright and the these men were were uh, visionaries. They they were ahead of their time uh, for sure. And he he realized that that the to reach the nations is going to take the nations, and uh, that's that was a driving force from the early days. Okay, so take me to that first assignment mm-hmm. when you uh, you put your name on the dotted line with OM and you said yes, Lord. Uh, what did you end up doing? Well, it started with a. A, what we call summer campaign back in those days. That was just like a short-term trip. It was a one-month trip uh, into Italy. How old I, were you? I was 19 years old. I'd never been out of uh, the UK and, and just once out of Northern Ireland. So uh, this was a huge uh, change and uh, shock uh, on many levels, but an opportunity uh, to get away from being in a very uh, sheltered environment in my church and in my home uh, and just seeing God use me for the first time. But I think the bigger the bigger change came when I left, when we moved on to the ship and, mm-hmm. and flew to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine what uh, that was like for a young Irishman who had <laughs> never been really out of the country to land in Hong Kong uh, and to join a ship with 300 people from 40 different nations. Are those memories fresh? And, and what, what were some of those early lessons? Well, I think the, the one of the, the the abiding lessons that stuck with me throughout my life, uh, because I flunked out of high school. I was I was doing well in high school, but uh, I, I worked part time as a butcher, and uh, my boss uh, unfortunately offered me a job, uh, and uh, before I'd finished my finals, and I ended up taking that job because as a teenager I knew. Uh, you know, everything I needed to know in life, of course, and made that decision that I could earn money quicker this way. Hmm. And so here I I was now stepping out of that, going overseas to be a missionary. And uh, I realized, I I, I just was holding my hands in there saying, God, how can you use a butcher? And uh, probably, I think it was my second port in Manila, being able to go out onto the street and lead my first person to Christ. And just understanding then that God, yes, God can use anybody <laughs> if we're just willing to uh, make ourselves available. Did you do that willingly? I mean, I, I know you did it willingly, yeah. but were you frightened uh, to, to witness on the street that way? Uh, there were absolutely, there was a degree of, of uh, intimidation. These are people I, you know, they were in the, this was the Philippines, you know, I, 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 would they speak English? Would I be able to get my the message across? Would they, would they even receive the message? All of those fears came up, but that part of what OM has done for, for thousands over the years is being able to give them some basic training and put them in a situation where they can actually practice that and actually, and find out, yes, I can do this, hmm. make a few mistakes, but you'll learn from it, and God can use, uh, again, that hmm. effort. I would imagine that it's a lot of hard work on board the OM ships. I mean, uh, what, what, what were some duties that you had while on board? Well, for some reason, when I went there, they, they, they 
I correlated the fact that I was a butcher with the possibility that I could cook food. So they made me one of the cooks. <laughs> and uh, I, I've never understood that, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, so we would cook, uh, you know, meals for a thousand, over a thousand meals a day on board the ship. And uh, so that was quite a... And that would, would have been the doulas, right? Yeah, the doulas, yeah, yeah. I spent seven years on. So th- those were, of course, you know, with very short notice being told, now you're going to a prison today to share mm. uh, the gospel with with prisoners, you know. and Assignments like that, that were just dropped on you at short notice, but just continually stretched you and give you opportunities that I you never would have gotten. I never would have gotten back home in, in Northern Ireland. What were some of the other ports of call? Well, we spent most of our time in Southeast Asia. So I've been to about 65 countries. Most of those are been on the ship. So Southeast Asia, right as far north as sort of Korea and China and across to East Africa and the Middle East. Mm. Uh, so that whole area, I've been to most of those countries. Okay, so you said you did that for a couple of years as a single man. Yeah. Pick up the story there. What happened? Well, I'd been dating uh, my now my wife, Sharon, uh, for uh, five years before I went. We started dating. But you went off on a ship somewhere. Yeah, exactly. When there was no email, <laughs> <laughs> phone calls were really expensive. So we had a, a phone call once a month and, and letters, uh, and, but we, we stayed true. And, and uh, when I came home, we got married about nine months later. Knowing that the call was to go full time, and so Bible college was the next. I needed to do college, and so I did my theological training in Belfast, and uh, but with the sole intent of going to the nations again. I always knew you're going back. Going back, hmm. and uh, because I had seen the unreached and the fact that so few were going, and the one thing, the two things in life that I would said I'd never do was one was go to Bible college because that was a waste of time when people were going to, to hell every day. <laughs> Why would I be sitting studying the Bible when I knew more than enough to tell them how they could have a personal relationship? God took me there realizing I needed further education. Secondly, I'll never be a pastor because there's too many of those and not enough missionaries. And God called me to the pastorate for uh, three years as associate pastor in a Baptist church in Ireland. And that was a very very important uh, formation time for me, uh, understanding the central role of the church in God's yeah. plan for the nation. Yeah, I was going to say, as you look back on it now, you can see, as we all look back and yeah. see how God prepared us for yeah. what we're doing uh, to follow his calling yeah. now, he always prepares us. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I came away understanding the key role of, before I was evangelism, evangelism, and then it was through the church, the understanding of discipleship and embedding them in the local church. And of course, then the central role, as I said, the local church in God's, that it is the primary instrument mm-hmm. uh, for, for reaching the nations. But after the pastorate, yeah. you and your wife together. Yeah. And my two-year-old daughter, oh, we had a two-year-old okay. daughter at that All stage. Right. We got the letter of invitation to come back. And interestingly, God brought my wife to the place of saying, this is the, the right thing to do before I got there. Uh, and uh, But together we, we, we went in 1998 back mm. to Dulos again. Okay. Let's hit the pause button on your experience and talk to those listening who maybe feel a call of some sort on their life to do something like what you're talking about that you've spent your life doing. Well, what does that feel like? What does that look like when you begin to feel that that move of the Spirit? Probably a couple of things that I've experienced in my life. One, of course, is that sense, that inner sense that God is stirring your heart. And, and I, I, it's done that in a couple, at least a couple of ways with me. One is the your current environment, I talk about what the eagle does to the young uh, eaglets, and they, she takes all the fluff and all the, the nice things out of the nest when it's time for them to fly, but they don't want to fly. Mm. Makes it uncomfortable so that they don't want to hang around. And God has done that a few times in my life where it's been an, an unsettling and an unrest, and okay, God, what is next? And I go after 
uh, seeking his will and his voice in my life. But then that, that deep burning passion inside, whether it's for a particular people group, a country of the world, or just simply the unreached or the marginalized, whatever the case may be, God is stirring uh, your heart. And, and I always enjoy those times because there's this sense of anticipation of God showing the way uh, and also uh, a heightened awareness of his presence because he's, he's speaking into your life in, in that way. Uh, we'll continue talking with Andrew Scott and learn more about Operation Mobilization coming up in just a moment on today's edition of First Person. One thing we talked about last year in this program was the Freedom Climb, a group of women focused on the plight of at-risk women and children, those who are exploited, enslaved, oppressed, and trafficked. Well, in a few months, Operation Mobilization Women will tackle climbing one of the peaks on Mount Everest to raise support through the Freedom Climb, and you can help. Just visit firstpersoninterview.com to learn more about the Freedom Climb and what you can do to support them with your gifts and prayers. Look for the link to the Freedom Climb at firstpersoninterview.com. My guest today on First Person is Andrew Scott, who is president of Operation Mobilization USA. Now, how does that fit into OM Worldwide, Andrew? Well, we have work in 118 countries around the world, and uh, each of those fields make up what we know of as OM or the family of OM ministries. And uh, we are, every one of our fields is autonomous, but we are joined together with a common agreement to really serve one another for the purposes of making Jesus known among the unreached and marginalized. How many full-time missionaries with OM? We have 6,100 currently in 118 118 countries, yeah. That's incredible. I knew it was a large, I had no idea it was that big. It has grown. I think George Verwer had no idea whenever he first started it too. Yeah, you know, I I worked at Moody Bible Institute for many years, and George would come and speak, yeah. and we would we would talk together, and I would hear the stories of George as a student yeah. at Moody because I some of the men I worked with, of course, were in the sure. dormitory with yeah. George, and saw that fervor and passion yeah. in George early on in his yeah. life. Yeah, it's amazing, and you know, of course, when he started OM, it was simply to mobilize people through short term experience into long term work, but with other organizations. Right. But he. Obviously, people wanted to be around George, and they stuck with him until yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, getting back to your story, I assume you get out of the kitchen on the on the ship eventually, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got out of the kitchen, and of course, you know, went back home uh, to to Ireland and and got married uh, to my childhood sweetheart. Did my Bible college training and and went to the church for for three years and just had an amazing time there, but then got the invitation to go back to the ship where I spent five years as one of the leaders on board to d- developing what we did for the people on board. It was called the internal ministries coordinator, mm-hmm. but so our Bible study courses, our leadership training, ministry skills training, um, even the school came under me, which I always smiled at <laughs> school for the children. I thought if my if my school teachers knew that I was now the principal <laughs> of a school, they would laugh. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, but that was an amazing time of just, again, seeing the world and seeing what God's doing yeah. throughout, throughout the world. Talk about the ministry uh, of the ships today. The high-profile aspects of the ministry is the book shop on board, and that is really one of the things that gets us into a lot of countries, uh, which is an excellent doorway in where people are looking for educational material. Okay. And so we have, I think it's 10,000 titles on board, and people come up the, the gangway uh, up to 27,000, I think, is the record in one day. Oh. Uh, coming aboard for that. But through that experience, we get the opportunity to share the gospel, whether it's through the written form or uh, one-on-one through a conversation. They're able to be introduced to Jesus through 
meeting somebody or through the literature that will be given out freely to them when they come on board. That's what hap- happens on board. We have teams going out that get involved in ministry in prisons and schools and hospitals on the streets. Uh, we work with the local church, or, you know, putting the church back at the center and saying, you know, we want to come along and be a catalyst in your city to help reach your city, but also uh, part of our vision is to share the, the the vision for global mission with them that they will also get involved in sending their people over, overseas and outside their country. I'm sure it's different from country to country, but what's the reception like? Do you have difficulty getting into these ports at all? Sure. Some some ports are, are more challenging than others, but you know, I don't know of any other ministry that gets gets the, the uh, open door into countries uh, like Libya, like uh, countries in the Middle East uh, and uh, I was on board when we went into places like Myanmar, Vietnam, China, and these are in recent years, you know. And so it's, uh, and we have obviously take care of when we go in there and, and, and uphold the government uh, regulations, but it, our desire is just to simply be an example and live out Jesus in, the, in those environments. Yeah. Give me the scope of what you do. I know it starts with the books. Those, those yeah. have always been important, sure. but it goes way beyond that. Yeah, it? sure. There's the books and that, that's, as I mentioned, sort of one of the platforms that we can get in on. But when you have 400 believers coming into, followers of Jesus coming into a port. And uh, you, you've, I mean, one of the things that we never talk about, but I think of often is the prayer that's happening for those, the, from the families of those and the churches of those 400 people around the world for that port mm-hmm. as a result of that. But going out, linking with the churches, supporting the churches, coming alongside them in their efforts to reach their local community. That's a big part of what we want to do. And as I, I said, seeking to engage them in the nations, both locally and globally. Uh, we also get involved in a relief work uh, in, in ports. That's, I wouldn't say it's a large part of what we do, but it is part of what we do, uh, seeking to alleviate some of the suffering in Boy, ports. the needs are so yeah. great. When we spend so much of our time in, in the, uh, the global south of the developing world, it's a, certainly a lot of those needs come face to face. So evangelism, mobilizing, uh, this, these relief efforts. And of course, there's this, this thing that's going on the whole time on board the ship for the two years that people are on board is this training and the developing of the people on board mm-hmm. so that when they leave, they're, they're folks that are ready to go out and minister in whatever environment God puts them in. So is the ship um, a launching pad then for many of the missionaries, the 6,100 missionaries that serve with OM? Absolutely. It's be, over the years. It's become a, a. It has become just that. Uh, we have, you know, myself, my own personal story, as you've heard, is seven years on board the ship, which has led me today to, you know, to be the the president here in the U.S. Uh, of OM, uh, and that's true for for many throughout the the OM world. There's two real launching pads, I think, as we look at our, our story, and we often joke about this: is that India. That was your rite of passage, and often in the early days, was had you spent time in India? That was a really hard place. <laughs> Uh, or the ships, yeah. It was a, yeah. You know, and we were nearly second class because it wasn't really as hard as India. <laughs> but uh, a lot of OMers today have experienced one of those two places yeah. for sure. I'm sure the issues of community really come to the forefront oh, when you're living it. together on yeah. a ship like that. Yeah. Well, you, you think, learn a lot, don't absolutely. you? Absolutely. Well, you think of, you know, college is something similar in that you go and you spend four years with people. Yeah, but you can but get you, away. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you get, and on the ship, you, you know, you go to your bedroom and it's literally inches away from you know, four other people across the wall and you eat breakfast and dinner and, and uh, supper with those people. You worship with them, you pray with them, you work with them. And it's 130 meters of metal that you, that, that's, that's uh, yeah. 400 people crammed into that. So yeah. it is very intense, but the friendships that people make in that time are, are, are the, some of the best friendships that they'll ever make in their life. And you had a family on board with yeah. you. Yeah. What's it like to have children and, and uh, raise your kids that way? You know, I've often said, Wayne, that that, that I, there was no better place to raise my family. I, we had uh, 
400 aunts and uncles for our kids <laughs> who just loved to, you know, they had, they were missing their own little nieces and nephews, sure. brothers and sisters, and they just loved to take care of them and babysit. Uh, of course, the, the, the exposure to the, the, the many different cultures, uh, their geography lesson wasn't in a book, it was on the streets of a city, every, every port. Uh, so it was a wonderful environment spiritually and even just in many practical ways to bring up our children. Mm-hmm. Has to be very expensive to operate a ship mm-hmm. on the world's oceans and yeah. do what you do. It, it, there is certainly a, 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 a big price tag to it. Uh, but when I, when I compare that to uh, you know, maybe what we're spending in the U.S. and our churches, it actually appeals because you know, there's very few uh, churches, there's very few ministries actually that can see a million people come up be it come in contact with a million different people every coming year. Coming to you. Coming to us, yeah. Yeah. And that's not doesn't even include the people we go out to meet, but a million people coming up our gangway every year uh, that will receive the gospel. And uh, and I think whenever you take all of that into consideration, it's not as expensive as it may first of all seem, yeah. Hmm. I hope we'll get a chance to talk more about this, but let's talk about some of the other ministries of OM. Mm-hmm. Uh, 118 nations you mentioned. Yeah. Some of those are we can't even talk about because yeah. they're they're very sensitive areas yeah. of the world, aren't they? Sure. Yeah, we 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 have uh, work right across uh, the world and, and, and in focusing on a number of key areas. You know, for example, our whole work among the the Muslim world, which uh, we have uh, within 50 different countries, re- reaching out just with. The love of 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 God to to Muslims and be trying to befriend them and bring them into that knowledge of of Jesus. But whenever I look at the OM world, actually it's 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 changed quite a bit over the the landscape has changed quite a bit for us. Of course, the world is changing. You know, the reality is there are more unreached in the world today than there was yesterday. Yeah, people don't understand that. Yeah. What it was just seems to be about a year ago we were talking about one point seven billion. Hmm. Today we're talking about two billion. It's really? just, it's just growing rapidly, and uh, so things have to things have to radically change in how we are reaching out. But so give a, me an example. What's changed? Well, of course, take the whole thing of of uh, access into countries. You know, today it's it's harder and harder to get visas into countries as as in the in the traditional missionary uh, style, uh, but. There are opportunities now to send professionals into those countries that are going to go in with with not not in the old tent making model where you go in and you do your job from nine to five and then rush yeah. home to do the ministry yeah, aspect. Yeah. But they're actually going to be seeing their job as their yeah, ministry fully integrated. Absolutely, yeah. this this taking away the sacred secular divide. Yes. Uh, but of course, technology. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we don't have to smuggle caseloads of literature into a country anymore. What a gift. It's, it can be passed through with you know exponentially greater ways uh, than we've ever seen before, yeah. What a delight to meet Andrew Scott today. We've heard just a small part of everything that Operation Mobilization does to proclaim the gospel in many ways and in many places all over the world. With over 6,000 workers from 100 nations serving in well over 100 nations, the story of OM is amazing and deserving of our support. To learn more about OM's mission, including the upcoming Freedom Climb to support women and children enslaved and oppressed around the world, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. You'll find links there that will provide much more information and action steps that you can take to support this ministry in behalf of Christ and His kingdom. That's firstpersoninterview.com. And if you'd like to pass along the link to today's interview to someone else or listen to any past first-person interview, use the same website, firstpersoninterview.com. And I hope you'll follow us on Facebook as well. You can see what's coming up on the program and interact with other listeners. You'll find us easily at facebook.com forward slash first person interview. 
Well, next week when you join us, our guest will be Melinda Delahoyd of CareNet, a Christ-centered abortion prevention ministry. I hope you'll join us next week at the same time. Now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next week for First Person. First Person.